Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. And I don't suppose I have to mention that it is a good morning. It's a beautiful Sunday in November, isn't it? And we surely ought to thank God that we are alive and that we do have the privilege of coming into his house and worshiping him on this beautiful, glorious Lord's Day. Today is the 24th Sunday after Trinity. If you looked at your church calendar, you know that there are only 26 Sundays after Trinity, and then this present church here is going to be brought to an end. This is, therefore, the third last Sunday of the church year. And it's only natural for us Christians when we are coming to the end of another church year that we turn our mind and we turn our attention to last things. We begin to think about the end of the world. We begin to think about the last day. And the text that I just read is very much in keeping with this season of the church year. Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time. It was the Feast of Passover. It was the end of his first year of his public ministry. And he was addressing quite a group there who were before him. And then he spoke these words to them. He said, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear my voice and shall come forth. And they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. You and I may say, what did he really say that day as he spoke to this group? He said to them, marvel not at this. Don't be amazed at this. Don't laugh at this, people. Don't make fun of this. Don't say that this can't happen. This is what he was saying to them. For the hour is coming. The time is going to come. The last day is going to come. And then he told them, and on that last day, I am going to raise up all the dead from the graves, and I am going to judge the human race. I am going to decide the eternal destiny of every human being. Don't laugh. Don't make fun of this. Don't say that it won't happen. Believe what I tell you, please. He pled with them. And today, on this third last Sunday of the church year, Jesus, speaking from his word, he says to you and me, will you please believe this? Will you please not marvel? Don't be astonished. Don't laugh at this. Please don't. Don't make fun of this. Don't say that this can't happen because on the last day I am going to raise all the dead from the graves and I am going to judge the entire human race. I am going to decide the eternal destiny of every human being. And you and I may say, 
You mean to say that Christ says, don't laugh at this, uh, don't ridicule this, don't poo-poo this, don't have any scorn for this, uh, believe this with all your heart, that he, the stranger of Galilee, is going to come at the last day and going to raise up all the dead that have ever died and that he is going to judge the entire human race and decide the eternal destiny of every human being. And you and I may say, did he ever have pipe dreams? Did he ever have smoke dreams? Was he ever guilty of hallucinations of grandeur? What was wrong with him? Do you mean to tell me that he could stand and say, Now, I don't make fun of this. Don't laugh at this. Please don't ridicule this, I beg you. Don't you dare say this can't happen. But on the last day, this is what I'm going to do. We may say to ourselves, Is he big enough? How in the world could he have said something like that in Jerusalem? It's ridiculous, we may say. This is utterly fantastic. But you know, on that day when he spoke, he said, don't marvel, please don't laugh at this. Uh, don't make fun of this. Don't ridicule this. Believe this with all your heart. This is going to happen. At the last day, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to raise all the dead from the grave, and I am going to decide the eternal destiny of the human race because, don't forget, I am the Son of Man. He said, I'm big enough. I'm the Son of Man. We may say this morning, well, just because he is the Son of Man, does that make him big enough? Does that make him mighty enough, powerful enough, that he could dare say to you and me in this 20th century, don't make fun of this, please. Don't laugh at this, please. Don't marvel and be amazed and don't say this can't happen. The hour is going to come and I'm going to do just exactly what I said. Because, will you know that I am big enough? I am no less than the Son of Man. And you know the fact that he is the Son of Man makes him big enough because in the first place he reminds you and me that as the Son of Man he is no less than God himself as well as man, as well as a human being, the one who was the promised Savior, the one who was the promised Redeemer. You know sometimes people look at this title that Jesus loved about himself. He loved to call himself the Son of Man and people fail to say to themselves, what did he mean by that? In this text you and I need have no doubt about what he meant. He meant more than this and I am the Son of Man like you and I are sons of men, that I'm born of a human being like you are. When we see the relationship as he calls God his Father, you and I know that this name, he loved it because it meant something tremendous to him. He knew who he was. Our God is one God and yet three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. When he called himself the Son of Man, that meant to him, I am God the Son, I am divine, I am no less than God, the second person of the Trinity, equal in essence and might and power with God the Father and the Holy Spirit, and in addition, I am man, I am the son of Mary. This is what it meant to him. And you and I say, is he big enough that he said, now don't laugh, please. I don't make fun of this. Will you please? The hour is going to come. And you and I may say, well, how can he be big enough? He said, I am the Son of Man. I am no less than God, even though you just see me as a human being. I am the promised Savior, the one to come. And he would remind you and me that Isaiah, 700 years before he came, said, unto us a child is born, he would be a human being. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. He would remind you and me that it was prophesied that Messiah, the promised Savior, would be no less than God in human form as a human being. And therefore he, I am the Son of Man. I am God in man. I am the one. And I, as God on the cross, 
I came and I took your guilt and your punishment and I bought it. I bought an eternity of hell for you and all men on the cross and I could do it because I am no less than the Son of Man. And therefore, he says to you and me this morning on this third last Sunday, don't laugh. Just don't ridicule. Don't snicker. Don't be sarcastic. The hour is coming. I am going to raise all the dead from the graves and I am going to judge the human race. I am going to decide the eternal destiny of every human being. Don't laugh. I am big enough. I am God and I am the Savior and I'm big enough because I provide a deliverance from hell and the assurance of eternal life for all men. Have you ever seen how big he really is? When you and I turn to Calvary, what does it mean? It means this, that there he bore hell for you and me, and thus there is escape from the eternal punishment of sin for all men. And he also merited a righteousness that assures men of life and salvation. He who was big enough on the cross to deliver you and me and all men from the eternal punishment of sin and to rescue us so that we may spend eternity with him in heaven, I believe that he is big enough that when he said that day in Jerusalem, Please don't marvel at this. Don't laugh, please. Just hold your snicker. Just hold your ridicule. Just a moment, will you? I don't say this can't be done. I am big enough. I am no less than the Son of Man. And when you and I can see him big enough and say, this is it, we ought to say, when he calls to you and he believes this, don't laugh. Well, see, I'm not going to laugh. I'm going to believe this. And when we determine to believe it, then we are going to determine not to laugh and make fun of this Christ of the cross that your parents and mine taught us about and that we're not going to ridicule it and we're not going to say, well, that's just a little fairy tale, a fantastic fairy tale that our parents taught us. Calvary, fantastic. Jesus reminded us here, he said, you haven't seen anything yet. You're going to say greater works than what you've seen. You and I in this sophisticated age, we may say, who wants to believe in the Christ of the cross that our moms and our dads told us about. And today we're seeing young people who are again turning and repudiating him and are saying, again, we are the enlightened, intelligent 20th century. Isn't it rather tragic that somehow or other uh, some people equate intellectualism with a repudiation of Christ and Calvary that if you're going to be educated, if you're going to be sophisticated, if you're going to belong to the intelligentsia, then you've got to trample underfoot Christ and the cross. Rather tragic, isn't it? Oh, I know the college professor that told the girl when she came to him and said, you upset my faith. And he said, well, we don't answer those questions in religion. You'll just outgrow them. Intellectualism to be equated with atheism. To say, oh, in this enlightened century. And yet what's wrong with this age, young friends? What are individuals and young people seeking when they're thrown all kinds of morality to the side and living in immorality? When they're saying, this is what you've got to smoke, you've got to smoke pot, you've got to have dope pills, you've got to take acid. You know what's wrong? They are seeking an answer to a guilt problem, to a sense of guilt. And may I say, young friends, there is only one answer to the guilt problem that has ever come into the world, and that's Calvary in Christ. There is no way to get rid of a sense of guilt. You don't do it by kicking over the traces and say, I'll kill my conscience. You don't do it by saying, I'll get rid of a sense of guilt within my own heart. 
I'll get rid of it because I'll take a trip, because I'll have smoke dreams, I'll have pipe dreams. The only answer to guilt, and when we look at our enlightened intellectual 20th century, and we say that the thing that is growing by leaps and bounds, the nervous breakdowns, the emotional upsets, why? Because Jesus says, don't laugh at what Pop and Mom taught you. Don't say that it's a fantastic fairy tale. You haven't seen anything yet. Don't laugh. You're going to see something greater at the last day. I'm going to raise up all the dead, and I'm going to decide the eternal destiny of the human race. That you and I today may say, I'm not going to laugh at the Christ that I've been taught. And how many young friends today have desecrated him, then escaped the tragedy of standing before him someday, whom you and I have repudiated. When he stood in Jerusalem that day, oh, he had the verilies, verilies. There was a sense of urgency, and he said, don't marvel at this. Uh, don't be amazed. Don't laugh, please. Don't snicker. Uh, don't be sarcastic. Don't make fun of this. Don't make, because the hour is going to come. That last day is going to come. And when it comes, I... I, the Son of Man, I am going to raise every dead body from the grave, and I am going to judge the human race. I am the Son of Man. You and I may say, well, suppose he is the Son of Man. Does that make him big enough? And in the second place, he reminds you me, oh, yes, because as the Son of Man, he reminds us he is no less than God the Son, even though a human being. He is the one who conquered the grave. You and I may laugh and say, imagine Jesus of Nazareth standing there in Jerusalem telling a group of individuals, intellectuals, don't laugh, don't scoff, don't make fun of this. I'm going to raise all bodies from the grave at the last day. And you and I may say, can you imagine anything so ridiculous? But he would say, but would you just remember that I am the Son of Man, I am God, and that I have already conquered the grave? The gospel lesson for today reminds us that the man's name was Jairus, as we see in another account that came to Jesus, and my daughter is dead. Little 12-year-old girl, will you come and raise her? And Jesus said, yes. And he went into that home, and he raised her from the dead. You and I may say, well, now, that's a nice little fairy tale. That's kind of fantastic. And then we may say, but we also read an account that he was coming to the little village of Nain. And I stood on the road, and the little village is still there. It's something to see. Now, they were carrying a young man on the stretcher. He was dead, and they were getting ready to bury him. And Jesus had compassion on his mother that was a widow. And he said that day, young man, I say unto thee, arise. And the young man arose, the young man at Nain, you and I may say, well, now, preacher, that'll be the tale. We and our enlightened, sanctified, sophisticated age, uh, we'll snicker just a little bit. And then he went to Bethany, you know, one day, and I stood at that tomb also when I was there, the tomb of Lazarus, and he had been dead four days, and his body was already starting to decompose, and he said, Lazarus, come out, and Lazarus came out, and you may say, well, now, that'll be the tale, preacher, we kind of snicker in this 20th century. You mean that he raised people from the dead? And then I stood in the open tomb in Joseph's garden, too, because on the first day of a certain week, a tremendous week, he arose from the dead. 
And then you may say, well, now that's a dude like this little fantastic tale preacher. That's nice to tell the little children. Do you mean to say that he who died on the cross arose? Well, it's rather strange, isn't it? But uh, they, they saw him. I don't know what you'd do about that. The women saw him, and Mary Magdalene saw him, and Peter saw him, and the disciples that night behind locked doors saw him, and Thomas saw him and touched him and said, My Lord and my God. And those men went out and they preached a living Christ, and they died because they had seen him. Don't you laugh. I'm not going to laugh. Because when you're an eyewitness of something, when you saw him, and if there's anything in the New Testament that is any shorter, men like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John testifying and Paul, when the New Testament says he lives, somehow or other I think they saw him, or else they're the greatest bunch of hypocrites and liars that ever lived. But the evidence of the Christian church tells me that he did. Fantastic, oh yes. And that therefore he is big enough that at the last day, all bodies, without exception, shall be raised from the dead. And you and I may say, that's fantastic. Why we put a body into the ground and it earth to earth, ashes to ashes, and dust to dust. And you and I can say in all the subterranean rivers and streams and some of our ashes may be carried throughout thousands of years that some of our ashes may end up in the Pacific Ocean and some of our ashes may end up in the Atlantic Ocean and God knows where those ashes will ever be. And you mean to stand there, preacher, in this 20th century to say that this stranger of Galilee on the last day is going to speak the word and that the graves and the waters and the air that has men's ashes that all bodies without exception will be racing. Yes, you've got me right, and I'm not laughing about it either, and I'm not cynical about it. I am not marveling in the sense that I'm laughing. Poo-poo, who could believe that? Because with all my heart, I believe that he raised himself. And therefore, again, Jesus says, this is what I'm going to do. And when you and I can believe that, he says, will you please stop laughing just don't snicker under your breath when you're in church. I just don't ridicule this and say, well, it's nice to go to church and to hear the preacher talk about some nice things. They're so fancy. Jesus said, will you please uh, stop laughing? Will you just believe it? And when you and I can say, well, he is the son of man. He is big enough. Well, then we ought to determine this that we're going to believe it and we're going to make sure and convince ourselves that we're going to be there at that day. You and I will be there. That's one appointment we'll not be late for. We may be late for church and a lot of appointments, but we won't be late for that one. And to convince ourselves that we will be there, even though it seems so strange and so fantastic that you and I may say, oh, it, it just can't be. But we will be there and we may say to ourselves he can raise my body from the dead oh yes and not spend the rest of our life trying to convince ourselves that we won't be there rather strange with atheism oh we run into individuals that say uh, the grave's the end of man don't ever tell me such fairy tales and such ridiculous things that our bodies are going to be raised uh, Madeline O'Hare you know she says 
when you get in the grave, you're going to rot. But you know the strange thing is that it goes up and down the countryside. You're going to rot, you're going to rot, you're going to rot. And you know, if you've ever studied psychology, you have found that psychology says that whenever anybody keeps repeating something that they don't believe, the reason they're doing it and keep on and repeating it ad nauseam, ipicacibus, is because they just aren't quite convinced themselves of that again, there isn't any. If there is one individual who isn't quite sure, but what maybe her body will be raised, it's Mrs. O'Hare, or she wouldn't be jabbering about it and cussing about it. You'd forget it, you see. Atheists aren't born, they're made. Shakespeare, when he has his Hamlet playing with the idea of taking his life, what's the thing that stops him? Oh, he, Hamlet would want to believe that the grave's the end, and to be or not to be, you know, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the swings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take arms against the sea of trouble and by opposing to end them, then he says to die, to sleep, perchance to dream. Ah, there is the rub, he says, that's the rub. Maybe there is something to it. Even Voltaire, who claimed to be an atheist of the first rank, when he died, one of his friends heard him to say, all is dark and doubtful. All is dark and doubtful. You see, he wasn't too sure. Men spend a lifetime in trying to make themselves believe that the grave's the end. And you never get quite convinced. And therefore, let's you and me say, I'm going to be there, I know, because he's going to raise all bodies from the dead. Let's not try to talk ourselves out. Then let's avoid the tragedy of trying to outwit God. You know, some people try to outwit God. Some try to do it. You see, some say, well, I'll, I'll do something with my body so that he won't be able to raise it. Cremation, you see, didn't have its origin in the Christian church. When I mention cremation, just bear in mind, I'm not condemning it. In the Christian church, again, bodies are laid in the ground or they're put in a tomb. Cremation had its origin among individuals who, again, were going to outwit God just in case there might be a resurrection. And therefore, again, to cremate their bodies. Now, again, there's nothing in the Word of God that says there's anything sinful per se about it. But let's, if we're ever going to have our bodies cremated, let it not be this, that we're trying to outwit God, or that maybe he won't be able to bring our bodies from the ground or the dust, because he will. He will, regardless of what we do. Let's not try to outwit him. Jesus says, don't laugh. On the last day, he says, I'm going to raise all bodies. And he says, on the last day, I'm going to judge the entire human race. And he said, because I'm the Son of Man. And as the Son of Man, that makes him big enough because also, as the Son of Man, he's not only God and not only man, but he's also the one to whom God has given his Father the authority to be the judge and to determine the eternal destiny. He told them that day, he says, my Father has entrusted me with the authority to judge the human race. God the Father took this and said, Here, son, this is your job. You may do this. You are to the one, as God and man, you are the one to decide where every human being who has ever walked on this earth shall spend eternity. And therefore, since he has that authority given him by his Father, he is the Son of God and the Son of Man, you and I know this, that he is big enough, that he will conduct the two judgments that are mentioned in Scripture. There are two judgments that Christ will oversee. The first one is the one when we die. 
As Paul said, it is appointed unto a man once to die, and after that the judgment. When your soul and mind, see we have a body, I am a soul. When your soul and mind leave the body, we stand before Jesus Christ in judgment. This is the big one. And he will supervise that and on the basis of faith in him. If you and I put our faith and trust in him as our Savior, well, then he is the one who will again hear. This is the judgment that decides. Your soul and mind will go to heaven with him. If you and I have repudiated him as Lord and Savior and have said no and laughed at him, your soul and mind shall be condemned to hell. That's the first judgment. That's the judgment that decides our eternal destiny. And then there's another judgment at the last day. And this judgment shall be before men. And this is the one when he mentions especially, and they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. You may say, is there a different basis for judgment at the last day? Oh, no. Who is it that does good? The Word of God says, without faith it is impossible to please God. And since this is the judgment before the entire human race, Jesus talks about deeds as evidence of faith. The good person is the one who has put his faith in Christ and his life proves it. The one who has done evil is the one who has repudiated Christ and therefore his deeds are not acceptable. This is the final judgment that, again, the first one decides this one will divide the human race. Everyone before him. And Jesus will give the final word. As to when your body and mind is raised from the dead and we stand before him, where are we going to spend eternity? Is it going to be in hell or is it going to be in heaven? Jesus says, don't laugh. This is what I'm going to do on that day. And if you and I can believe that, and he says, please, don't marvel to the point that you laugh and ridicule you make fun of this. Believe it with all your heart. He says, I'm big enough. Don't forget, I'm the son of man. Then again, there's only one thing important at this moment in your life and mine, whether you and I have him as Lord and Savior whether you and I have put him off. And we may say, well, I put him off so long, I wonder if I can still come back. We may say, I have, I have backslidden so often. We may say, though I promised him that I would again really repent and that I haven't. And think of, I wonder how many times David said that to himself when he was up on the roof that night, you know, and he saw Bathsheba and she was a beautiful woman as he saw her taking a bath and he had her come over and they sinned together. I'm sure when he went to bed that night, he said to God, I'm sorry. But the next day he saw her again and probably that night again he said, I'm sorry. But they cohabited, didn't they? And when he knew that she was going to have a trial, I'm sure that he told God he was sorry and he wanted to quit, but he didn't quit. And then again, to bring her husband home, he got him drunk and I'm sure he told God, I'm sorry to get him drunk, but I've got to blame this baby on him. And that didn't work. I'm sure David every night told God he was sorry, but he went on. And then when he had to have uh, her husband killed, Uriah, had him killed, I'm sure that he said to God, God, I'm sorry I had to put him to death, but I just had to, and it went on. But finally, when Nathan brought him to his senses, in spite of the number of times that he had said he was sorry and he wasn't sorry enough to quit, he did finally turn, creating me a clean heart, oh God, didn't he? And there came, and God said, a man after my own heart, and they, if, again, the greatness of our sins say to us, I, I can't embrace Jesus Christ today. Oh, there's Saul of Tarsus, or again, Paul as we know him. He said, I'm the greatest sinner that ever lived. Therefore, I don't know what your sins are, but they aren't as big as mine. And he'd say, God forgave me. When we stand this morning and we say, forgive me, and we embrace Jesus Christ, then we have this joy, the joy of knowing that when our bodies are raised, uh, that again we shall have eternal life, that the judgment will not be one of damnation, but it will be one of life and salvation, and nothing else matters. I look out in this world, this 20th century, and isn't this strange, the, the hot place, the hot spot in the world is the Middle East. 
And that means Palestine. I wonder when Jesus says, don't laugh at me, we are not, don't please, uh, simply ridicule and just snicker under your breath when I tell you that at the last day there's going to be one and that I'm going to raise the dead and I'm going to judge the entire human race. I wonder in view of this last day uh, why the hot spot seems to be the Middle East and Jerusalem. Could, why isn't it Hong Kong? And why isn't it in Europe? Or why isn't it over here? Or why is it in the party? Or why Palestine? I wonder if it isn't this. Calvary is there in the cross. I wonder if Jesus Christ isn't saying to this 20th century, take a long, long look, human race. This is your last look. Look to the cross. The whole world is looking to Jerusalem, to the cross. And I'm wondering if the Son of Man isn't saying, when you stand before me, I'm going to say, I gave you a last chance. I converged the view of the world on my cross. What to do? I wonder if this isn't the last hope that he providentially is having literally the whole human world to turn to Jerusalem because his cross, Calvary, is there. And he's saying, the hour is coming. Don't laugh. Don't snicker. Don't make fun of me. Take a long, last look. I wonder if he isn't saying to you and me, Behold a stranger at the door. He gently knocks, has knocked before. Has waited long, is waiting still. You treat no other friend so ill. And will he prove a friend indeed? He will, the very friend you need. The friend of sinners, yes, tis he with garments dyed on Calvary. Admit him, lest his anger burn, and he departing ere return. Admit him are the hours at hand. You'll at his door rejected stand. On this third last Sunday, Jesus says, Don't laugh at me. Don't snicker. Don't make fun. Just believe in me. And then everything will be all right. Because the hour is coming. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting.